Well, when it comes to to sport, representing your country is probably one of the greatest privileges and greatest honors that you can achieve, uh, especially at tournaments like the Olympics. Uh, many athletes would would endure great hardship, uh, intense uh, discipline, strict diets, uh, hours and hours of of devoted training for to compete in that event. Uh, and of course, when they do well, uh, the whole country is glad, and the whole country is, is really associated with their victory. And, and of course, they win when they win a gold medal. That is just the, the cherry on, on, on the top. Uh, and all the praise and adoration that goes with it, the recognition and, and the many opportunities that that opens up for, for someone who has achieved uh, say a gold medal at, at the Olympics. And of course, there are also many uh, other rewards, uh, financial rewards, financial benefits that is associated with, with success in sport. Now, the Bible often describes to us that, that our Christian faith is like a marathon, a race to be run with endurance to the end. Uh, and in the end, there will be a great reward when we follow Christ faithfully and fearlessly, uh, we will learn today that the Lord will reward us when we stand before Him uh, on that day. Um, the Lord has, the Lord who made us, He knows us. Uh, he knows that we as humans are very motivated by reward. Uh, by by a promise, by by hope, uh, and so people, Christians have endured much uh, and will endure it much because of the hope that we have—a future hope, a future uh, reward—and uh, uh, we've been given a taste of heaven when we come to Christ, and the Holy Spirit is given to us, indwells us. And it's because of that that we will remain faithful to our Lord. We will endure much. We will resist many temptations. We will bear many afflictions for the hope, the promise, the great reward of being with Christ in heaven. Now, we've been looking at Matthew 10, uh, really at, at the traits of a disciple uh, what What is a disciple? And, and we've seen before, so if you're not in Matthew 10, yes, please turn there. We've seen before that that uh, a disciple is someone who follows Christ, who follows Christ faithfully and who follows Christ fearlessly. And it is someone who confesses Christ, who confesses Christ candidly, openly, publicly, who confesses Him courageously, and who confesses Him conclusively or chiefly above all things. Uh, and so this morning we come to our text in verse 40 to 42, and I've entitled this sermon, A Disciple of Christ Represents Christ. Uh, so just follow along. I think what I will do is, is probably read uh, from verse 24. Uh, a disciple is not above his master, nor a slave above 
sorry, above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he would be like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what, I, what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against the mother and daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Then verse 40. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him whom who sent me? He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to you these little ones, or gives to one of these little ones even a cup of water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we come this morning, Lord, uh, and ask for your mercy and your grace. We pray for your spirit to open up your word to our hearts and our minds, Lord. Uh, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts, Lord, to believe and hands to act upon what we have come to believe. Lord, bless us now and speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, as I said, uh, a disciple is, of Christ is someone who represents Christ. And here we see that really that, that the reception of a disciple determines the reward of those who receive such a one. Um, so let's look first at, at, at your reception, the reception of, of a disciple. Verse 40 says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And so to follow, we've seen that to follow Christ uh, really in faithfulness and with fear, fearlessness, uh, in word and deed, to confess Christ um, with total commitment, supreme devotion, above family, above life itself, taking up one's cross and giving up or losing one's life for Christ, to do that and to, to really uh, be engaged in the mission that Christ has given us. It is a very very demanding calling. Uh, and the disciples of Christ should be under no illusion as to the difficulty 
of this task. Nor the certainty that there will be bitter opposition and even biting persecution by those who are in darkness. However, that is not the whole story. Praise God. Jesus now turns to instruct his disciple that there will be those who will receive them. Those who will receive them will in fact be receiving Christ. Those who welcome them will be welcoming Christ. Those who support them will in fact support Christ himself in his mission. And so Jesus said to receive you, whoever receives you receives me. And the word you receive really has the idea of of welcoming, welcoming someone as a, as a guest, uh, but not merely opening up your home to, to to a disciple, but opening your heart, uh, opening your heart in receiving, in welcoming the message and the messenger as sent by the Messiah, as sent by by Christ, by God. And so, to accept the message of the disciples is to accept the message of Christ. To accept the message of Christ is to accept the message. Of God, the gospel of God. To accept the message of God really is to accept the grace of God. He who receives you receives me. There is this, this very intimate and inseparable connection between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, we are called his ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5.19. And we see this in, in Acts 9 when, when Saul uh, was persecuting the early church. And the Lord arrested him on the road of Damascus and asked him this question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so we should know that to touch the church, to touch those who belong to Christ, those who have been purchased by God through the blood of Christ, to inflict harm on disciples of Christ is to inflict harm on Christ himself. To persecute disciples is to persecute Christ. And people, we need to remember this when we engage the world in evangelism, in gospel. When they turn around and they oppose us and they persecute us, because we stand for Christ, because we confess Christ, then we should know that in fact they are not necessarily coming against us, but against Christ. They are against Him. They are opposed to Him. And of course, we should also remember this in how we treat one another, how we treat each other in the church. Jesus speak, was speaking to his apostles, uh, disciples at that time, about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And he says it's those who are humble, comparing the humble with, with children. And he says in Matthew 8, 5, whoever receives one such child, one such humble disciple, in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Christ take how we treat how we treat his disciples, fellow Christians, very seriously. And so we need to be mindful of this even in our actions and our attitudes and how it impacts on the church. 
I was reading this week, just in my private devotions, just reading through First Corinthians, and and Paul in the first few chapters was dealing with divisions that were in the church, and and not because of doctrine, but because of preference, because of pride, because of prejudice. Some of them didn't like certain pastors or preachers um, and preferred others. And so they were saying that I am of Paul, and I am of, of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am even of, of Christ. Uh, and by doing that, they were dividing the church into these factions, into these little cliques, into these groups. And then Paul asked this piercing question. Is Christ divided? And he was pointing out to this close connection, this intimate connection between Christ the head and his body. Christ is not divided. So why divide him by your petty preferences and prejudices and pride was Paul's point. And so the, the point I'm making is, is that there's this intimate connection between Jesus and his disciples, Christ and his ambassadors, the Lord and his church. In fact, the presence of a faithful disciple, his true disciple, in a way constitutes the presence of Christ as we bear his name, as we exhibit his spirit, as we are presenting him. He who receives you receives me, Jesus said. Luke's put it in a negative way in Luke 10, 16. The one who listens to you, listens to me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. And so we as disciples presenting Christ can be very confident and assured that We've been sent by Him. We, we are sent in His authority and empowered by the Lord Himself to proclaim His message. To be part, to be His disciple is to go and confess Christ to the world. And so His disciples represent Him. His disciples are His ambassadors. We go in His name, in His authority, with His power. And so that ought to give us great confidence in sharing the gospel, sharing Christ. And how Jesus' disciples, how his ambassadors are treated impacts directly on Christ the King. Treat them well, receive them, welcome them, and you are welcoming the King. Treat them poorly, treat them badly, and you are in fact treating the King, Christ, badly. We see this in the, in, the, in the natural sense when when David, King David, in Second Samuel ten, um, heard of of the death of Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, and uh, because Nahash has been kind to David in his life, he thought he would send a, a representation of him, uh, servants to go and console uh, his son Hanum, but the Ammonite princes were suspicious of David's kindness, and so they treated his servant shamefully. They shaved off half their beard and then cut their robes in half so that they're naked from, well, from the hips down and, and send them back to David. And of course, this was insulting David, in a sense. So they were rejecting his kindness. They were insulting his kindness. 
And their action, we, we see written, made them odious to David, abhorrent to David, repulsive to David, ultimately resulting in war, and, and many of the Ammonites were, were, were killed in that war. Uh, now, when, when, when we as Christians, we as Christ's disciples, when we confess with our lips and with our lives the person, the preaching, and the practice of Christ as our Lord and our Savior, how we are received matters to Christ. How we are treated matters to the Lord. The disciple of Christ represents Christ. No wonder it's such a demanding calling to be a true and faithful disciple of Christ. To be a true ambassador. He, he really needs to be our utmost allegiance belongs to Him. Our foremost love has to be Him. And it also comes with an incredible stewardship that has been entrusted to us as His disciples. He commanded us to go, to go in His name, to confess Him, to represent Him. That was Christ's mission. He came to save sinners. And that mission has now been entrusted to us, His disciples. We have a stewardship of His mission. And when we are representing Him and we do good, it reflects well on our Lord. But when we are lazy, when we are evil, when we misrepresent Him, it of course reflects badly on Christ, on our King. When our words and our actions do not align with His words and His action, we blaspheme His name before the unsaved. Romans tells us. And so these words, He who receives you, receives me, should give us great confidence and great assurance that we go in His authority. And therefore we can boldly say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Because that's the message He gave us. But likewise, to those who reject Him, we can equally bold and with authority say, reject Jesus Christ and you will perish forever. He who receives me, or receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives the Father. This is the first time that Jesus actually mentioned in Matthew that He was sent. And of course, He was sent by the Father to accomplish His redemptive purposes and plan. We read in Scripture that He was sent to proclaim the message of, or the release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. We read that He came to preach the kingdom of God. He was sent to fulfill the will of the one who sent Him. We read that He was sent to do the works that testify to the Father, that the Father is the one who sent Him. Jesus was sent to be a mediator between God and man. In 1 Timothy 2.5 we read, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. 
And so Christ was sent to be a mediator between God and man. He was sent to be the mediator of the new covenant. We read in Hebrews 1.15. Not 1.15, 9.15. And so the, to receive Christ is to receive the Father. And all the blessings that that brings, uh, we know, of course, that when we come to salvation, when we receive Christ, we receive redemption of our souls. We receive the righteousness of Christ. We receive sanctification in Christ. We receive peace and reconciliation. We receive adoption as sons and His indwelling spirit. We receive forgiveness. We receive love, mercy, grace, an eternal life, an eternal inheritance all from the father when they receive you they receive christ when they receive christ they receive god and all the blessings that is associated with christ with faith in christ that is and so we as disciples have indeed been entrusted with a massive stewardship we have been given the ministry of reconciliation Listen carefully to what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we may become the righteousness of God in Him. We represent Him. The disciples of Christ represents Christ. And as such, you have been given the stewardship of the gospel. The stewardship of the message of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. And therefore, Paul reminds us, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Are we trustworthy? Are you trustworthy with the gospel? With the ministry of reconciliation? Are you urging, pleading on behalf of God for sinners to be saved? Sinners to be reconciled to God through Christ. We must be trustworthy. We must be faithful. People of integrity. People of love. People of the truth. And so, our reception determines their reward. If they receive us, they receive Christ. If they receive Christ, they receive the Father and, and all the blessings but here he continues, he says in verse 41, He who receive a, receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive, receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. 
And so as representatives of Christ, as ambassadors of Christ, when we are welcome, He is welcome. And there is benefit associated with that. There is reward for those who receive Christ's disciples associated with receiving them. But this benefit is not automatic. This benefit seems to be dependent on the manner and the attitude in which a disciple is received. The attitude of the host, so to speak. The one receiving the disciple of Christ. And Jesus identified three types of reception, so to speak. Each associated with a reward. A reward commensurative to the attitude and manner in which the disciple is viewed or received. Some disciples would be received as a prophet, others as righteous, a righteous man, even others just as the humble little one of Christ, a humble disciple. But each will receive a reward from Christ in the way they receive his disciples. As I said, this whole section that we've been looking at really deals with discipleship. And so, a disciple is one, as I said, who follows Christ. The one is who, who, who confesses Christ, who follows Him faithlessly, faithfully rather, and fearlessly, and who confesses Christ, who acknowledges Him, who identifies with Him, who is allegiant to Him, who professes Christ with their lips and their life, their words and their deeds, their preaching and their practice. And as such, as we do that, we grow in our discipleship. So we become sons of of God the moment we put our faith in Christ, but we grow as disciples, as those entrusted with His words and His ways, as we learn it daily. And so we grow and we become more proficient in it. And so here I believe Jesus is drawing a distinction between different kinds of disciples. Different kinds of disciples, different in maturity, but also different in task that's been given them by their master. And so first of all, we see here a prophet. Now the prophet in the Old Testament, they were men that were raised up by God to speak in his name to his people, the very words of God. They could say, thus says the Lord, and then speak the 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 word of God and they were highly regarded and and greatly respected for the most part in Israel and Judah but they were also often opposed and persecuted we read even in Matthew 5 uh, of, of, of those who would persecute the prophets now a prophet in its simplest definition is one who speaks for God someone who speaks the word of God And it's this sense that every disciple really is a prophet called to prophesy. Every one of us is to speak the word of God. The word of God. Every one of us is to confess Christ who is the word of God incarnate. We know that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God according to Hebrews 1. Verse 1 and 2 says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. 
And so I understand here that the prophet referring to by Jesus here is one who speaks the word of God. One who speaks the word of God concerning Christ. One who confesses Christ. So this is not talking about an Old Testament prophet that, that brought new revelation, but is preaching existing revelation, ex- preaching the, the already revealed Christ to the people, expounding the mystery of, of Christ to the people. The full and final revelation of God. Now if someone receives a disciple as a prophet, one who speaks for God. In other words, if they receive their message and they receive the messenger, they welcome him, they value it, they honor the the, the messenger and the message as being from God. They will receive a reward. If they receive him in the name of the prophet, that means because he is a prophet, because he speaks for God, because he proclaims God's word, because they have learned to know that he is or perceive him to be one who speaks for God, who confesses Christ candidly, courageously, and conclusively, and they receive him, they will receive a prophet's reward. Meaning, they will receive the same reward as what a prophet would receive. And so, when a faithful prophet preached the word faithfully, and they are receiving this faithful prophet and receiving his faithful message, then they will receive a prophet's reward. And so the question is, what is the reward for a prophet? Good question. Hang in there. We'll get to it. But it is important for us at this moment that I want to make this point that we, everyone, how we listen to the Word of God proclaimed has enormous consequences. By faithfully receiving, hearing, believing, responding in faith, to the faithful and accurate preaching of the Word of God by a faithful preacher, means you will receive the same reward as the preacher, as the prophet. But hearing the Word, the faithful preaching of the Word, from the lips of a faithful disciple, his prophets, his preachers, and not receiving, not pay attention to it, not Believing it, not responding to it, not heeding it, not living according to it. It is like ignoring, opposing, and even rejecting Christ, the word of Christ, what he says. We diminish what he says. So that's why James warns us, if, uh, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at the natural face in the mirror. and For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a, an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. We grow in Christ, we grow in maturity as we hear the Word of God, but not merely hear us, when we actually act upon it, 
respond to it, believe it. That brings great blessing. Hearing the word is not enough. We have to respond to the word of God. And so let's look at the next one, the righteous man. A righteous man is one who does what is right in the eyes of the Lord according to what the Lord says is right. A righteous man is the one who does good, who's benevolent, who's kind, who's gracious, merciful and loving. A righteous man is a man of justice, a man of of fairness, a man of integrity, whose private life matches that of his public persona, who speaks truth and who can be trusted, whose character is above reproach. And so remember, a disciple is is really an apprentice who confesses the word of Christ and who conforms to the ways of Christ. And so the emphasis here on the righteous man is on righteous living, living, imitating Christ-likeness. And so the righteous man is one who wholeheartedly trusts in the sovereignty of God and is willing to walk and willing and able to pay the price. It's the one who, 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 who will act righteously even when it's difficult to do so. And so to receive a righteous man or a good man because he is a righteous man, because he is a good man, because he can be trusted, means that the one who receives it, the attitude that is displayed by such a person is they likewise want to be like that. They likewise want to really uh, do what is right, be fair, judge equitably, uh, do good, show kindness, give grace, act out of love. So it's, that's the attitude. If they receive, a, if, a, if a person receives a disciple who is a righteous person, in that manner is they likewise want it. So they welcome that. They value that. If they do that, then the reward that is given to a righteous man will be theirs they will also receive a reward. So what is the reward for a righteous man? Well, just hang on still a little bit longer. Uh, Because there's one more promise that Jesus gives us here, and that is to a little one, the one who is the humblest of disciples, the lowliest of disciples. Verse 42, And whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And so a cup of water in the Middle East was, was really considered to be the least you can do for someone. The, 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 the smallest kindness that you can show someone. Um, and if you do that because they are a Christian, a disciple of Christ, Jesus says, you will not lose your reward. And so... For those who respond to the smallest of needs of the humblest of his disciples, the least of his disciples, there will be a reward. Just as in the case of a prophet and a righteous man. And Jesus is very emphatic here in in, in the text. He starts this, he says, Verily or truly, I say to you, This is most assuredly, most definitely, certainly. And then he follows on with a double negative. He says, no, never. 
So he's, if I can give you my translation, it says, Truly, most certainly I say to you, no, never will he lose his reward for doing the smallest kindness of act towards one of the least of his disciples. Just remind me of our, the passage in Matthew 25 when we, we read, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and he sits on the throne, his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and they will be separated from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus takes those who treat, or Jesus takes how we treat those who belong to Him very personally. And this is great implication of how we treat others, each other, our words, our, our actions, our attitudes. If we do the smallest of kindness to the one who belongs to the Lord, he promises we will receive reward. And this must be great encouragement for many who serve faithfully the Lord, unseen, often not recognized. No, Christ sees. He recognizes. And even the smallest thing that you would do for one of His, He sees, He knows, and He will reward you for that. What, a, what an incredible promise. The help you give, the meal you cook, the house move you assist with, the gift you give, the time you spend, the hospitality you provide, the encouragement you bring, the service you render, the sacrifice you make, the joy you share, the example you are, the prayer you offer, the kindness you show. When it is done out of a loving and sincere heart, Christ interprets that as if you are doing it to Him, if you are doing it for Him, if you are doing it on His behalf. And of course, we can just look at all the one another commandments to press this point home, that when we do this, when we love one another, when we are kind to one another, when we forgive one another, when we prefer one another, pray for one another, serve one another, encourage one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, welcome one another, be hospitable to one another, seek after what is good for one another, bear with one another. When we do that, Christ interprets that, do that from a pure heart, a sincere heart, a loving heart, a genuine heart. Christ interprets that as you doing it to Him, for Him, 
Therefore, Paul reminds us, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, that is, while we are still on this earth, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we do good to even the lowliest, humblest of disciples of Christ, Jesus says, you are doing it to me, for me, on my behalf. And you will know, never lose your reward. So what is the reward for the prophet and the righteous man? I don't know. Jesus didn't tell us yet. Uh, but there is, uh, we, can, we can deduct from the passage um, that there are some things that we can conclude may be part of that. And the first one is peace. Back in verse 13 of chapter 10, if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. And so if they receive Christ and they receive you and they receive the message and they receive Christ and they receive God, because they receive Christ, they receive the grace of God and therefore they will have peace with God because they have been reconciled to God through Christ. They will have peace with God in times of trouble when they guard their minds. Uh, the peace of God will, will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They will have peace from God, those who walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. They will also have great assurance, assurance of the Father's providential love and care. We read that in, in verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So God cares for His own people. He cares for the most insignificant creature like a sparrow. How much more would He not care for someone whom He saved by the blood of Christ Himself? So, the reward would be great assurance in this life. Greatest, great joy. Everyone who confesses me before men, verse 32, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Knowing Christ, that he will confess you before the Father, should fill our hearts with joy. That he would acknowledge us. That he would step forward on that day of judgment and say, Father, this one, belongs to me. When we step into His presence, we hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your Master. And then, of course, there are, Scripture talks about rewards uh, in, in terms of crowns. Uh, whether those are literal crowns, I, 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 I don't think. It's just a, a representation of, 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 of acknowledgement, I suppose. Well, it could be very literal if I think of Revelation. Uh, but we see different passages speak of different crowns that will be bestowed on people for different acts of faithfulness and service. There will be the crown that is imperishable for those who are faithfully and exercising discipline in following Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that those who run the race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim, box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached Christ to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Running the race with endurance, with self-control, would earn yourself the crown that is imperishable. There's the crown of exaltation for those who faithfully confesses Christ before others, and they come to salvation. Paul writes of the Thessalonians that they are. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? You are our glory and our joy. They are the ones that will be in heaven because of your witness, because of your confession of Christ. That will be a, a crown of exaltation on which you can praise God for, that you have played a part in their salvation. God is the one who saves, but He saves through His people as they bring His message to others. There's the crown of righteousness, those who remain faithful and those who are working hard to bring about the will of God uh, uh, to be done on earth as well as His kingdom. They will receive the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. To love His appearing is to do and be active in what He has given us to do, so that we are not ashamed when He comes, but rejoices as a faithful servant, that the master has returned. There is the crown of unfading glory. Those who exercise their stewardship voluntarily, eagerly, and humbly. Speaking uh, in First Peter 5, verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntary, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, another, just an acknowledgement by God, of you've been faithful in what I've been given you, I will put you in charge of many things. Then there is the crown of life, those who have persevered and are faithful to Christ, even to the point of death. James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Also, Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's what he said earlier in our text, that when we, when we lose our life for him and his sake, then we will find it. Then we will gain it. And so which crown will be given to the prophet and the righteous man? I don't know. I think probably more than one. Uh, but I do know what Spurgeon said, that there will be no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers down here below. And so if we are followers of Christ, faithful and fearless on earth, if we confess Him candidly, courageously, conclusively, 
in this life, on this earth, Christ will confess us before the Father and He will crown us for the work that we have done. He will reward us for the work that we have done. And we will be with Him forever. And as we come into His presence, we will take those crowns and we will cast it before Him and fall down in worship of Him, exclaiming that He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. We will proclaim, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5.12 When our hearts are right, we will serve the Lord because we love Him. Because of what He's done for us. And when we are discouraged and despondent, these very passages the Lord gives us to remind us, be faithful. Be fearless. Confess me before men. Because I will reward you. I will reward you. And so when you, when you are received, Christ is received. When Christ is received, God is received. When God is received, grace is received. Let that be our motivation for being faithful in the task in the stewardship of the gospel he's given us. Because neither Christ's disciples nor those who receive them will ever lose their reward, says the Lord. And so let us be Christian. Let us be a disciple of Christ. Fearless, faithful, and confident in the promises of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, just the, the encouragement it is, Lord, to know that you see and know all things. Lord, you see our smallest deeds, Lord, our, the smallest act of kindness, of goodness, of righteousness. Lord, you see and you know. You know us. You know that we are but dust. And so thank you, Lord, that we can be assured, that we can rest in the knowledge of your omniscience. You are all-knowing. You are ever-present. And Lord, that when we are faithful to you, you promise that you will reward us. And we thank you for that. Lord, who are we to even receive a reward. Lord, we who have been so graciously saved by you. And then powerfully empowered by you, enabled by you to work on your behalf, to bear fruit which you cultivate through us. And then, Lord, you would reward us for that. How great and how awesome, how wonderful are you, O Lord. Bless us, Lord, as we go to be disciples who follow you, who confess you, and who represent you. In Jesus' name, amen.